All right, coming up in this episode, I am a teacher by day, and so I deal with, uh, or I field, I should say, student questions during my work days. And so I thought for this podcast, the best way to answer the questions that absolutely nobody is asking is to put them in the form of questions and then uh, share my thoughts on them. So I've got a couple culture-based topics that I wanted to hit on today, and uh, no, The Bachelor is not one of them. Absolutely not. But I've got a couple other topics, and that is all coming up next. Okay, so first question I got on this culture Q&A-based podcast episode. Uh, Hey, Matt, what did you think of the Knives Out sequel, Glass Onion? So there are going to be some spoilers here, but it was released in Netflix just over a month ago. So if you haven't seen it yet, um, I don't really think you're actually all that interested in seeing it, and you don't care if I'm going to spoil it. Uh, You probably don't care about my thoughts on it. So I don't know why this question exists from you, hypothetical person uh, who just asked this question. So I thought that, I thought that glass onion was, uh, thought it was really good and watched it with my wife. And we both sort of conjectured what we thought the rotten tomato score would be as a kind of a critic consensus. Cause the few folks I've talked to, I think really enjoyed it too. And, uh, it was high. It, it's a very highly received critically movie and, uh, just enjoyment wise. I thought it was super fun too. The plot was, uh, really riveting, kept us engaged the whole time. We did have to, I think we tried to start watching it at night. And then of course, I think Kristen was falling asleep. So we had to pick it up the next day. And, uh, I felt my heart was beating faster for like two thirds of the film because it was, it was very intense and gripping. And the, uh, the mechanics of the plot were just sensational. Uh, the way that everything was interwoven and, and the way that we thought things were going to go was not the way that they were going to go. And so you were kind of led down one road only to be bucked back and brought down another avenue for, for what you were thinking at the time. Uh, Daniel Craig was awesome as Benoit Blanc again. And I'll get on, get to that in a minute about who I think should be in a third hypothetical Ryan Johnson uh, mystery movie. Janelle Monet was extravagant. I put that word down because she was just really, really wonderful at playing dual roles uh, she plays Andy, but then as we come to find in the film, she's playing Helen, Andy's sister. So she's playing Helen playing Andy, but she also played Andy. I mean, it's just a, a mind-bending, uh, really awesome performance from her. And it's coming from somebody who has somewhat of a, I know she's had a few more features in recent years, but somebody who originally started in music and somebody who is, uh, sort of transitioning marvelously into uh, a for real legitimate movie star. Uh, she was really good in this one. And it's almost a shame then to that point that this one was not in theaters because uh, just in terms of, I don't know, this this felt like a, a big screen performance and not watching it on my couch, you know, a Netflix movie. Um, the rest of the cast was really good. Dave Bautista, I think he really has a role. Um, in film and he was awesome in, as Drax in the Marvel franchise, but I think he really has a career in, in movies beyond what he's going to do when he leaves guardians of the galaxy, uh, this, this summer, Leslie Odom is awesome. Um, Kate Hudson was fun. It was nice to see Edward Norton center stage again. And Jessica Henwick plays like a, a side page assistant type role. And she doesn't get enough credit cause she just watched her again recently. And, uh, Matrix, Resurrections, and then her being in this one, I watched those two back to back and 
She's just she just doesn't get enough credit. There's great great twists in the film uh, with that aforementioned Helen playing Andy, and uh, so I'm glad we got one more of these. I love that the titles for this one comes from a Beatles song. That's kind of a cool niche uh, connection there. And then um, I know there was some Elon Musk connection that that I read about and heard in other places. I just didn't really see that. I didn't think about it until I read about those online with Edward Norton's kind of dopey, faux, uh, tech savant role that he plays. And then I'm with Ryan Johnson, the director, who said that he he was kind of ticked off that they made him put Knives Out sequel in the title. And uh, I don't think we need the Knives Out title. I think these can be two great standalone mystery movies and uh, definitely sort of that clue-based, uh, clue board game-based philosophy for this movie. And uh, I really like the little nod that they paid to the clue board game in this film. So thank you for the question. I thought Glass Onion was fantastic. Uh, I also wanted to hit on two here, though. So if they do come up with a third movie, um, Ryan Johnson, I think they're talking about it already. And if they do, I absolutely thought about who I want to see in that movie. And so my must-haves, my gotta-haves are Daniel Craig. We need Benoit Blanc back again. He's fantastic. And I really think the next movie, the, the one person I want in there besides Daniel Craig is I want to see Octavia Spencer in there. I just think she, it doesn't even matter what role you slap to her. She's going to be terrific in that role. And so that's what I want. I want Octavia Spencer. Um, other names on my wish list. These are people that I really would like to see in my third Ryan Johnson mystery film. If we're going to call it a Knives Out sequel again, sure. Glass Onion sequels. Um, I really want Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Give me Winston Duke. I'll take Rhea Seahorn. I can't say her name. Um, just folks, you might see where you might see these folks. Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in uh, Inception and... I don't know. Go look him up. Winston Duke was Baku in Wakanda Forever. So I want to see him in the next mystery movie. Rhea Seahorn was uh, Better Call Saul. Pedro Pascal, I want to, I have on my wish list. So from The Mandalorian, from uh, The Last of Us currently aired on HBO Max. And I want Linda Cardellini, who, shout out back in the day, Velma, and more recently Dead to Me on Netflix. Uh, these are the ones I'm just going to put a call into. And I'm going to say, what you up to? You, you want to come be in this mystery movie? So rolling through the list, Angela Bassett just nominated for uh, an Oscar for her supporting role as Queen Ramonda in Wakanda Forever. Barry Kogan was the weird, creepy joker at the end of the Batman movie last year. Robert Downey Jr. Uh, other names, Rachel Wise, Maggie Q, Henry Cavill, Superman himself. Simu Liu, um, Shang-Chi, John David Washington, Florence Pugh, Diego Luna, David Harbour, Jenny Ortega, Jenna Ortega, fresh off of her appearance as Wednesday Adams. So that's my list. That's kind of who I'd like to see uh, in the next Ryan Johnson mystery movie. I'm not even going to attempt to define a plot. I'll, I'll leave that up for, uh, I'll leave it up to Ryan Johnson and company. Okay, question two. Why couldn't Taylor Swift just make her own ticketing service? So we're just coming off uh, in the news this week is the whole Ticketmaster, um, antitrust, whatever's going on in D.C. 
because we had this issue back in the in the fall with Taylor Swift opening up her concert tickets and it became a whole brouhaha craziness. And I thought about this on a car ride recently and I asked my wife, I said, why, why couldn't she do this? Why could she not just totally dip her toes into that space and make her own ticketing service? And then I started thinking of other moments where celebrities had done this, where they had uh, sort of said, thanks, you guys that are out there that do the job currently, that's great. I'm going to do it my way, and I'm a bigger name than you, so it's going to be fine. And so two examples I thought of I in, in my little sphere of interest, um, Derek Jeter, back in the late 2000s, deciding, early 2010s, deciding, hey, media, it's great that you guys cover us. I want us as players to be able to control the narrative. And so he came up with the Players Tribune. And now there's this whole website that I haven't paid to in a while, paid attention to in a while. But he's got this whole new way for athletes to interact directly with their fans. Players go to him, they write something, they produce a video of something, it goes up on the Players Tribune. And there's no middleman, there's no Sports Illustrated, there's no. Um, ESPN.com. It is straight player to fan, player to consumer. And that's worked out pretty well. I mean, it isn't huge, but it accomplished the goal of, I think, what Derek Jeter wanted, which was that direct avenue for players to fan. And the second example I came up with was Jay-Z with his Rock Nation um, celebrity agency representation group where he just wanted his own way for celebrities to be represented. He didn't want to deal with the agent, the middleman. And so he really decided we're going to come up with this, this new brand, this new company that yes, I Jay Z am a celebrity, but now I'm going to help usher in a new wave of folks to deal directly with celebrity. And I know that this one has worked for a fact because there are athletes out there in the professional ranks whose agents derive from Rock Nation Agency. Um, and I know that Jay-Z helped himself use this to get his name in the works with the Nets when they came to Brooklyn, and that became a big thing with the Barclays Center. So that's just two very prominent examples of big-name celebrities. I mean, Derek Jeter, well-known dude. Jay-Z, very well-known dude, deciding, hey, I'm cutting out the, the thing that I don't want to deal with, and I'm going to come up with my own avenue for doing it. It seems like if there was ever an instigating event that would prompt a musician to try this out, it would be the flaming garbage truck that was this whole Taylor Swift Ticketmaster debacle back uh, late fall. And if it ever was a marquee act that could do this, I think it's Taylor Swift. She's got to be one of the biggest acts in the world that folks are interested, obviously, in going to see her perform. So the time would seem now that she could pull the people to create this and to do it, or I guess the time would be passed, usually uh, or using these last few months would have probably been the moment to capitalize on this opportunity. And I do think that to get this idea to work, she would need a couple high-level musical celebs to get on board with her. And so the names that I came up with were, and, and my brother-in-law helped me with this list too, and my wife, uh, Ed Sheeran, Harry Styles, Bad Bunny, Lizzo. I think that's just like a 
throwing names at the wall, seeing what sticks. But those four seem to be, if, if ever there was an opportunity, a musical act, a moment, uh, and then if ever there were some tangent acts that could really get this thing off the ground, I think it would be those four with Taylor Swift in this moment uh, with the whole Ticketmaster thing. But I do believe it could work. Thanks for the question, hypothetical question submitter. All right, next question. If you were Bob Iger, just recently returned to Disney, couldn't handle seeing your uh, self-picked successor run the show as CEO of the Disney Corporation. So you're back. And if you were Bob Iger at Disney, what would you do in your return as CEO? Wow, what a sophisticated question that is really uh, interesting to ponder. Well, my pie-in-the-sky idea if I'm Bob Iger back at Disney is I buy Netflix. That's the solution, I think. Uh, I think we're headed toward a landscape where we have a couple different streamers that start merging together, and Disney Plus and Netflix are obviously two of the bigger ones out there. And if it as is at all feasible, and I, I'm not a numbers person, I don't understand the financial, fiscal workings of these companies, and I wouldn't know where to even find the information to make it uh, accurate and valid. But if you're Disney and you have the opportunity to buy one of these big, big streamers like Netflix, I would do it. And I would just make Netflix an offer that, I don't know if they can't refuse, but an offer that uh, would be very difficult to refuse uh, and, and sort of give Netflix an out, but also suck that in if you're Disney. This is a guy, Bob Iger, I actually just recently got done reading his uh, his autobiography from 2019 before he left and then came back. Uh, he's, a, he's a dude that kind of fascinates me. And this is a dude that brought on to Disney. He brought into the fold Marvel. That seemed to have worked out pretty well. He brought into the fold Star Wars. That seems to have worked out pretty well. And then he also most recently brought in 20th Century Fox, which gave them the avenues of having items like The Simpsons, for example. And so I think that this move, if I'm Bob Iger and I need to do something, a big swing as returning CEO, this move to buy Netflix would really help Disney Plus as they navigate these streaming wars. It's still somewhat of a newer terrain, this, this streaming industry. And Disney, I believe, is still trying to get its foothold. And that was part of the reason that the previous CEO left was just the financial losses um, that I had been reading and hearing about that Disney was reporting. And so if Disney were to do a move like this, they might distance themselves from HBO Max, Apple TV Plus, anything that's out there. Uh, you put Disney and Netflix together. There ain't nobody topping that. That's like Kevin Durant going to the Warriors in 2016. It's just, it's, it's hard to even fathom. But Disney had a re recently tough time with uh, recently released um, kids movies. And, and the two that I thought of and looked into a little bit were Lightyear last summer and then Strange World, which came to theaters in November. And the numbers just weren't there for them to be in theaters. And uh, 
they especially backed that up with Strange World was awful with a terrible domestic release. Uh, that first opening weekend is miserable. The numbers were not good. And to this end, Disney would be able to, in buying Netflix, sort of validate the idea of putting kids' movies to streaming on a more permanent basis. Um, or at least the kind of split the idea of theater and streamer releases similar to, I'm going to go back to something I just talked about a few minutes ago, Glass Onion was released in theaters, just a very limited release. And then you had to wait, you had to wait. The, uh, the, the excitement, the suspense, so to speak, built up, comes to Netflix a month later. That same sort of strategy might benefit a movie like Strange World last fall, where you put it in theaters for a weekend, oh man, it doesn't do maybe as well as you like, but then you pull it and you don't have to leave it out there to just linger in theaters and you could instead maybe kind of regroup and try to recampaign before po- putting it out there on the streamer a little bit later. I also think uh, Netflix has Cocomelon, which... Uh, for those that do not have children under the age of four, Cocomelon is either the bane of your existence or uh, a savior because um, it's definitely annoying and it gets super duper old, super duper fast, but the kids love it. And uh, recently we've been dealing with a little sickness from Abby and when she's really feeling at her cruddiest, uh, we pop Cocomelon on. She's absolutely engaged. She's tuning into that sucker. It's got something to do with the way that they change scenes frequently in the colors and the movement of the characters and the songs. But Cocomelon is a beast. And if Disney were to absorb that, boom, you're automatically clicking with a bunch of huge kid circles as well now also. So if I was Bob Iger, I would buy Netflix. Make it sound super easy and way simpler than it uh, probably is. Uh, more realistic idea than maybe buying Netflix. Pete Doctor is the head of um, uh, head of creative something or other over at Pixar, which Disney owns. And uh, if I'm Bob Iger coming back to Disney, I might think about seeing if Pete Doctor wants a, wants a promotion, wants to come be head of all creative content over at Disney. Okay. This last question I saved for last on purpose because this is something that I, I have not heard, I have not read, but I really feel that there is somewhat of a of a problem taking place at Saturday Night Live for which there is no solution. And so I've been thinking recently, why have we, we've, in the time that my wife and I have been together, we have always watched Saturday Night Live. We might fall behind a week or two, uh, but we, we generally catch up. And uh, that has not been the case of, about the last year or so. We've really fallen behind. We've really fallen off with Saturday Night Live. But it's a show that, I mean, I read James Andrew Miller's 700, 800-page um, expose on SNL through the years. I I really like Saturday Night Live and, and what that show can do, what that show uh, is able to accomplish for some up-and-coming actors. Um, I love the idea of sketch writing and humor and role-playing and I think Lauren Michaels is a savant for uh, coming up with the idea behind the show, putting it in the right spot, and making it an iconic legacy in American culture. And so here's this question. Why do certain SNL hosts and music guests just not seem as famous anymore? 
And for comparison's sake, I went 20 years back. So we are currently in season 48, and I went back to season 28. And I just wanted to roll through the lists of the season 28 hosts and the season 48 hosts. And there's a whole tangent conversation to be had about the musical guests, but for the same reasons I'll get to, I think that the musical guests don't seem as famous anymore either. So here's season 28 of Saturday Night Live, the 2002-2003 season. And here's your list of uh, hosts. Matt Damon, Sarah Michelle Gellar, John McCain, Eric McCormick, Nia Vardalos, never heard of him, Brittany Murphy, Robert De Niro, Al Gore, Jeff Gordon, Ray Liotta, Matthew McConaughey, Jennifer Garner, Christopher Walken, Queen Latifah, Salma Hayek, Bernie Mac, Ray Romano, Ashton Kutcher, Adrian Brody, Dan Aykroyd. Okay. Um, musical guests, Bruce Springsteen, Faith Hill, The White Stripes, Jay-Z, Eve, Nellie, Nora Jones, Fish, Avril Lavigne, The Donnas, Dixie Chicks, The Chicks, Beck, Foo Fighters, Miss Dynamite, Christina Aguilera, Good Charlotte, Zwan, 50 Cent, uh, Sean Paul, Beyonce, ever heard of her? So that, I'm looking at that list, and that's like a super star-studded list, both in terms of the hosts and the musical guests. And I'm going to read this list now for season 48, and it's either hindsight um, or it's the fact that I'm just not as, I, I don't ever listen to the radio. I'm not plugged into these musical guests as much, but here's our hosts for season 48. Miles Teller, Brendan Gleeson, Megan Thee Stallion, Jack Harlow, Amy Schumer, Dave Chappelle, Kiki Palmer, Steve Martin and Martin Short, Austin Butler, Aubrey Plaza, and then this week will be Michael B. Jordan. Musical guests this season. Kendrick Lamar, Willow, Megan Thee Stallion again, Jack Harlow again. Note that we had two guests back-to-back, two guest hosts who are also the musical guests. Steve Lacey, Black Star, SZA, Brandi Carlisle, Lizzo, Sam Smith, Lil Baby. I think Netflix, sorry, Netflix, last segment, I think SNL has a huge issue with the proliferation of things to watch and places to get what you consume in terms of music and in terms of film and TV. And that's an issue I don't think Netflix... Why did I do it again? I think that's an issue that SNL, I don't know how they grapple with that. I don't know how you fix that. Again, it's it's that issue of all these people this season are prominent for a reason that might not be the same as those guys from 2002. There was no divergent way to consume culture back 20 years ago other than what's on cable and what movies you go see. That's it. Those are your two options. And in terms of musical guests, I guess you're either watching MTV or you're going to see them in concert. Those are your options. Now I'm looking at these guys in the 20, the season 48, this season. And I'm seeing people that are famous for movies that released in theaters, but then they went to Paramount, Netflix, Brandon Gleason. Um, is is maybe a bit more famous internationally, but in terms of domestically, his big thing that he came on to promote at that time was a movie that I believe went straight to HBO Max, some streamer. Um, I just, 
I think there's a real issue with Saturday Night Live in that there are so many options for consuming what you watch these days that you're not getting the same sort of prominence with these hosts as has been the case in years past. And I think the same can be said for uh, musical guests. Uh, There are people that come on as musical guests now, and I don't know who they are. I I literally have never heard of them. Um, And again, that could be sort of because of the fact that I don't listen to the radio as much. I'm not as plugged in culturally as I was 10, 15 years ago. But I just think that's so interesting that comparing the two, like Bruce Springsteen, yeah, ever heard of him? Um, Faith Hill, Jay-Z, um, Nelly, Avril Lavigne. These guys seemed much bigger. The Chicks, Foo Fighters, Christina Aguilera, 50 Cent. These guys seemed so much bigger. And it seemed like such a huge deal when they came onto SNL uh, back in the day. And it just doesn't hold the same gravitas anymore as, as it did what seemed like even in the times that we've been watching, we've probably been watching together going back 2015, 2016. And just in the last six or seven years, it sort of seems like it's become um, watered down for lack of a better term. So it'll be interesting to see where Saturday night live goes. They cut the cast. uh, They trimmed down the size of the cast for this season. They've had some bigger players in recent years that have moved on. And we are just a few years short of the 50th anniversary of Saturday night live. Um, we're looking at 2025 is going to be the 50th year. So we're only two years away now. And it seems like Lauren Michaels is at that point going to move on to whatever else he's got going on, whatever else he wants to pursue. And it'll be really interesting to think about to see where Saturday night live is going to end up over the next few years. All right, that'll do it for this episode. If you listen to me this long, congratulations. You deserve a cookie or a high five or something. Thanks as always for listening to my ramblings. If you enjoyed this, you feel like somebody else might even enjoy parts of it, feel free to pass it on and and share it with others. Uh, Again, I I just appreciate listening and uh, tune in for the next one coming later this week.